I'm not Jimmy Stewart, and this isn't Bedford Falls, but what you've got here is a podcast, a classic TV and movie podcast with people talking about some television shows and movies that are pretty terrific. Now, I know you're busy. I'm busy, too. And every once in a while, you you just got to make some time here to remember how things used to be. And if you do, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's a wonderful podcast. I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. For several generations, George Reeves was, is, and ever shall remain the definitive Man of Steel, having starred in the television series The Adventures of Superman, 1953 to 1958, and being the first actor to ever don the famous costume for TV. This year marks what would have been George's 105th birthday and the 60th anniversary of his death. To look back at his life and career, we're talking to Jim Beaver, who many of you may know as Bobby Singer on Supernatural. But he's also a playwright, screenwriter, and film historian. And for decades, he's been working on what will ultimately be the definitive biography of George Reeves. You've been working on this biography for a long time, apparently. What is it? I mean, what is it about George Reeves that made you, compelled you to write this biography? Well, uh, my reasons have shifted over the years. Um, initially, it was a, uh, it started out as a magazine assignment um, many years ago. And uh, uh, now, of course, I'm a baby boomer, so I'd grown up with, um, with Reeves as, as my Superman and essentially the only one, uh, because, you know, most uh, for my generation, he was, there weren't any, there wasn't any competition. There weren't any other actors playing the part. Um, so he was the guy. Uh, but I was, um, I was working for a film magazine in New York and they asked me to do, uh, if I was interested in doing a piece on him and I, said sure because I remembered from when I was a kid I was pretty fascinated with him and uh, uh, as I began to dig into it his story seemed much more interesting than I had realized and I the more people I talked to the more I felt like there was uh, uh, there was the the subject here for a for an interesting book uh, obviously most people, uh, come to George Reeves with one or both of two angles. One is that he played Superman, and the other is the um, um, controversial circumstances of his death. Right. Um, as I began to dig into it, I got more interested in the fact that um, here was a guy who got pretty famous without ever really getting the trappings of success and uh, who, um, you know, Oscar Wilde said there are two tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want and the other is getting what you want. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, uh, 
in some ways, George Reeves got what he wanted, but it didn't play out the way he'd hoped. Um, and I, I found that pretty interesting. I'm, I'm an actor myself. I've made my living at it. Uh, and, and all along, I felt a real kinship for, for him because, um, this is, this is a success story with very little actual success attached to it. Um, uh, this is not, um, this is not an actor who got rich and famous. It's an actor who got famous. Um, not that riches are the only interesting part. Right. But he never made the money. He never made the money that a person that famous or popular should have been making. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't terribly uncommon in those days for uh, the star of a genre show that was very popular to not make very much money doing it. Um, uh, I doubt seriously that Clayton Moore made a bloody fortune playing the Lone Ranger. Um, uh, there was such a distinction in those days between um, television and movies. And then there was also the distinction between uh, serious television, quote unquote, and, uh, and what was essentially thought of as children's television. Right. So um, it's, it, it would be a very different thing today, I think, um, uh, for, for an actor like Reeves to get as famous as he got for playing probably the most famous superhero. I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't think that he would, uh, in today's world be thought of as, or would think of himself as, uh, a failure. I'm not saying that's what he did feel himself to be in the fifties, but um, when you're making really good money, it's kind of hard to uh, feel like a total flop. Oh, sure. Uh, and, um, uh, and again, I, I don't mean to imply that I think he thought he was a total flop, but I do think that um, uh, he, he failed to get either the financial or the artistic success uh, that should have accompanied the fame. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I just, I found, I found that, I found that very interesting as an actor myself, as I began this book many, many years ago, I, uh, uh, I was, I was very much attuned to what it's like to be a struggling actor, uh, hoping to find, uh, just any job, uh, that would keep me afloat and realizing that here was a guy who was famous around the world, who was at the same time in almost the same boat. Um, and to me, that was a lot more dramatic than just, okay, uh, this guy played Superman. Let's write a book about it. Right. Uh, and also I, I, I found, especially as the years went on that I had, insights into 
his life just by virtue of being in the same profession that uh, that I thought were interesting because so many people think of stars as people who have it made in every aspect of their lives and uh, whose biggest problems arise from figuring out what to do with all their money. Um, and, uh, and I realized from my own experience and from talking to people who knew Reeves that um, uh, there's a whole other side to, to the story. And I found that really interesting. In 1957, uh, uh, 58, when, when Superman went off the air and went out of production, um, that, was, that was the last time he worked uh, anywhere, yeah. ever. And he still had another two years to live. Um, so it's, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very different situation then. Yeah. And, uh, and I think one that he could have survived much, uh, more happily, uh, if some of the protections for actors were in place then that are now. Part of the tragedy of George Reeves, I think, though, beyond the money, and the money is, of course, a tragedy because, you know, everybody else was making money, you know, involved with this thing. Uh, yeah. But part of the tragedy, in my mind, has always been that here's a guy who felt trapped by Superman, by the fact that he was adored by children and what he felt he wasn't being taken seriously. And had he just mm -hmm. lived a few more years, it seems, at least in retrospect, it seems that he would have gotten a sense of the adults he had touched, of how his legacy would have, you know, lived on, rather than being limited to what he thought it was in the 1950s. Yeah. The, so much of the um, melancholy I associate with his story is uh, about bad timing. Not necessarily his bad timing, but... Uh, Throughout his career, certain events took place or didn't take place at just the wrong time. Um, uh, what you're speaking of, if he had, if he had lived longer, or if his career as Superman had been placed slightly later, right. uh, he would have he would have seen not only financial benefits. But uh, the the kind of respect and uh, um, attention to the work he was doing that uh, that probably he didn't quite grasp. Oh, no. uh, and uh, and you know there was there are so many examples in the story of his life of uh, you know, things just not working out because they didn't time out correctly. And, uh, and the one you mentioned is, is maybe the biggest, yeah. uh, uh, in, in terms of, I mean, and, and I don't want to, uh, I, I certainly don't want to feed into the notion that it was purely Superman related matters that led to his death. Uh, oh no! There was a lot. There was a lot more going on in his life, but had he lived, I do think he would have seen a great deal more value in what he had achieved. Right. 
Absolutely. Now you're talking about the other stuff going on in his life, the whole thing with, um, oh no, I'm going to, what is it, Tony Maxwell? I mean, and all that stuff, not Maxwell. Tony Manix. Matt, yeah. Thank you, Max. I'm sorry. Uh, and all, you're talking about all that stuff in his private life that was going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a story yeah, in itself. I mean, yeah. It is. It's, um, uh, it's for a lot of people, it's the focal point. Uh, and maybe there's some good reason for that in that, um, I don't think his private life would have gotten the kind of attention it's gotten uh, if if uh, if his death hadn't occurred the way it did. Uh, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty easy to imagine that it would not have gotten that kind of attention because you look at other iconic. Uh, hero actors like Clayton Moore, like even William Shatner, uh, uh, people aren't spending inordinate amounts of time digging into their private lives. Right. But he knows for certain what happened at the end of his life means that his private life has gotten a great deal of attention. I don't know. I don't find it the most interesting part of the man, but it's certainly the peg that uh, a lot of people hang his story on well sure did he kill himself was he murdered i mean you know it's it's like it is a big question uh absolutely but there's a lot like you said there's a lot more to him than than that yeah it's um uh i you know it's human nature if someone doesn't live out their supposedly allotted lifespan or if something happens to someone that there is question about what really happened. Uh, it's very natural for human beings to look at that and go, okay, let's start pulling the threads out here and see if we can unravel this. Right. Um, it's, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes, uh, uh, the mystery is is something that we, as curious people, just sort of uh, create. Um, but um, I don't I don't personally, after many 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 years of research, think that there's all that big a mystery as to what happened to him. But the fact is that people will always disagree about it, and that sort of perpetuates a sense of mystery. Now, did you? I assume you fall on the side of him killing himself rather than being murdered, or am I wrong? I I didn't start that way. Oh, really? I was okay. I came I came into the story absolutely convinced that he had been murdered, but uh, I I talked to too many experts uh, and too many people who were very close to him near the end to uh, continue believing that. Um, uh, as with an awful lot of things, uh, there are things people believe because that's what they've always heard right. or because they saw it on a cop show once, uh, which aren't actually factual uh, or, or accurate ways of looking at uh, evidence. Um, I, it took me a very long time to come around, but I very much did come around to the idea that uh, 
all of the forensic evidence and a great deal of the uh, personal evidence of people who knew him closely at the end of his life that uh, uh, in all probability, and I don't say this with certainty, but I'm convinced of it, uh, in all probability, he took his own life, drunken uh, despair that may not have been his daily attitude, but happened to be at that moment when things came together in a way that uh, felt really bad and he had enough alcohol in his system to do something impulsive. Right. Um, uh, he, he had a history of uh, impulsive behavior when he was inebriated and um, um, and I've, I've heard from uh, seemingly reliable sources of a couple of occasions where um, uh, he made efforts or gestures toward taking his own life, usually when inebriated. Right. Doesn't mean that that's what happened, but, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the Occam's razor suggests that the simplest answer is usually the correct one. Um, and, uh, uh, and the answer that fits the actual forensic circumstances, uh, is, is found closest in the idea of an impulsive uh, but self-committed act. <laughs> I could be wrong. The thing is that uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of factors that play into that, and not all of them have to do with uh, getting to the actual finite truth. Um, that's not to suggest that people are, are lying or are fibbing, but I think sometimes they fib, fib to themselves. And that's not just the general public speculating on, on uh, Reeves' death, but uh, even, even friends and family. Uh, no one has, uh, no one I think is very comfortable with the idea that someone they care about would take their own life. Right. I don't, I don't know of anybody who thinks, Oh, well, that's a great way to go. <laughs> I you don't know, think I'm so. so yeah. glad, I'm, I'm so glad my friend killed himself. Right. Uh, rather than lived out to a, a nice ripe old age. Uh, the more you care about someone, whether it's, uh, genuinely personal as, as a, friend or, or a member of your family or in a devoted fandom, the harder it is to accept the idea that, um, that this person we care about could be in that kind of pain. Right. Um, I, I think my guess is that we, we, it doesn't fit our story of how we relate to that person. Um, there's certainly within families, there's lots of denial. Oh, sure. Um, uh, most, most suicides leave families 
at least some people in the family saying it's not possible. He or she wouldn't have done that. Right. Uh, uh, that was certainly the case with Reeves mother. Uh, uh, she, she simply could not accept the fact. And in large part, it was her lack of acceptance that, um, that built the drama around his death. Um, there were plenty of people who knew him who fully accepted the idea that he might've taken his own life. Um, and, uh, despite the notions that get, uh, thrown around about the corrupt Los Angeles police department, um, there's, there's, um, I, I've spoken with a number of the police officers who were involved in the case and, uh, it, uh, there's simply, there's simply, uh, very little actual evidence to suggest that, uh, it made a difference to them, uh, that they had any reason to sway the case one way or the other. Um, uh, and there's very little to suggest that they didn't, uh, follow standard procedure in investigating the case. Um, it's, um, so I, a lot of the drama, a lot of the controversy has grown in part out of Reeves own mother's inability to accept the fact that her son might have, uh, been in such a bad place that he could take his own life. Right. I think perhaps if she had, uh, been able to accept that the rest of us might've been able to accept it. Um, I don't know, you know, and the fact is there's a, there are enough questions to legitimately raise doubts in people's mind. Sure. I just think most of those questions have pretty solid traditional answers. I'm not researching this in order to uh, feed into the popular notion. My only interest is, okay, who is this guy? Right. What was his life? What was his death? And what do they mean? And uh, I, I can't it's I'm not writing a novel here. Right. Uh, and, and therefore I don't have, I don't have a climax that I'm writing toward. Um, uh, it's, um, it doesn't do me, you know, I could probably sell a lot more books if I proved quote unquote a murder. The one thing that one advantage I've had is that I, I started this, early enough. I mean, it's dragged on for decades. Yeah. Um, uh, but because I started it in this, uh, my started my research in the late seventies, uh, I was able to talk to many, many, many people who are long gone now. Wow. And, uh, and I have, uh, I have taped conversations with, with hundreds of people who knew George well, and, uh, uh, including people who were, you know, I keep harping on this 
notion of people who were very close to him in the last year of his life. Right. One of the problems with, with a show like Superman is that if something, if a story comes up about somebody who was on the show for decades, they went to other people who were on the show to get their facts. Right. And, uh, which meant that, uh, whenever the topic of George's life or death came up, uh, Jack Larson and Noel Neal would get interviewed, even though, uh, as much as they loved George, both of them would admit that they, they didn't see much of him in the last year or two of his life because they weren't making the show anymore. Right. And, uh, uh, I mean, I've been on supernatural for 14 seasons now. And, uh, I don't think any of the, the series regulars on that show have ever been to my house and I've never been to, uh, theirs. Right. Uh, uh, we're friends. Uh, I love to see them. I love to work with them, but I don't know what they're doing from day to day. And it's only been three or four months since, uh, the last time I worked with them. Right. Um, uh, actors, actors largely do their job and go home and they, they see their, co-stars uh at the studio and if they're not at the studio they may not have much idea at all what's going on with them uh in george's case it had been a couple of years uh since uh uh almost since they had worked together and uh uh they they might have crossed paths here and there but they were not the people to tell you oh here's what george was feeling the last six months of his life right because they weren't uh, there they didn't know him then yeah yeah and uh and the people who were there are not necessarily people that are well known to the public um uh for example george was was a silent partner in an electronic store and uh his his partner who ran the store uh, saw him almost every day the last six, eight months of his life. Really? And his, his picture of what George's attitude toward life and the world during that time is very different from Noel Neal's. Um, uh, because he was there every day. He was, he encountered him, uh, uh, just about every day. He saw him the last day of his life, and uh, he was not surprised at all uh, when he heard that George had killed himself. Wow. Um, uh, so, but, you know, if you're, if you're doing uh, entertainment tonight, it's a lot cooler to get Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane in for your interview to talk about him when, um, uh, you know, I, I suspect that um, any show from, from, uh, a few years back, if you've got one of the cast members online to talk about one of the other cast members, personal life, that they would make certain guesses, but might not be up to date. Absolutely. And I think that, I think that was the case with, with Reeves. Um, uh, a lot of, a lot of the stories about how happy he was or wasn't uh, came from people who were kind of the automatic go-tos to interview about him, right. even though they weren't necessarily uh, day in and day out 
uh, active in his life. So uh, none of this changes the fact that uh, we will probably never know for certain. Sure. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what historical person would you most like to meet who's no longer here? And I, I was really torn because part of me wanted to say Abraham Lincoln just because I want to bask in his presence. <laughs> but part of me wanted to say George Reeves because I want to ask him, yeah. okay, can you, can you resolve this for me, please? <laughs> right. Get an uh, interview with George Reeves for your book. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure many people would believe me, yeah. but uh, 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 the, the fact is uh, certain things will always uh, lack enough answers to resolve it for everybody. Um, and, and there's a certain, there's a certain um, uh, excitement that comes from digging into a mystery. I was, I was watching television the other night and there was just whatever happened to be on. And I found myself in this just really, really engaged in the secret of these tunnels that these people had discovered. And what did it really mean? And what, who built these tunnels and what was hidden in them? And then about halfway through the show, I thought, wait, I missed the beginning. I don't even know where this is or what it is. <laughs> right. And yet I'm all caught up in solving the mystery. And I don't know what the mystery is, but when people start talking about a mystery, it gets kind of exciting. Um, so uh, most of what I've tried to do in my research and tried to do in my book um, is, is to find out who this man was right. and what made him tick, not at the end, but all throughout his life. And... Um, and I, I find him, I find him a fascinating character. He's not, um, uh, in some ways he more than deserved the fame he got in some ways. Uh, uh, he got more famous than a lot of people who were in the same boat prior to his fame. Uh, in other words, um, there are a lot of actors out there who might be just as well remembered now if they had gotten cast as Superman. Uh, and George might have been as comparatively forgotten as some of those actors. Uh, what I do know and I really appreciate is that he brought something to the character that a lot of people couldn't have. And uh, uh, for my money, for example, if you look at, Kirk Allen, who played Superman in the serials right. in the late forties. Um, uh, there's such a world of difference between him and what Reeves brought to the role. Uh, it, it's, I think it was wonderful for us that Reeves got the job, uh, because there's, he, his personality shines through the role in a way that Kirk Allen's I don't think ever could have. Uh, no disrespect to Kurt, Kirk Allen, but uh, he, he was, to, for me, he was uh, a, quite a dull Superman. George Reeves was someone that, uh, even if 
he hadn't been playing a character with, with superpowers, I would have wanted to know this guy. Uh, I mean, just from what came across on the screen. The natural charisma um, is what you're talking about, because he did project absolutely. that. Yeah. Absolutely. He had, he had charisma, and maybe charisma is, in part, the ability to give strangers a sense of kinship uh, uh, or connectedness. Uh, I... I of of all the people who've ever played this role, uh, only Christopher Reeve comes close in my mind to making that kind of charismatic connection with an audience. And uh, uh, so I think George Reeves deserved all of the fame he got. But I also think that uh, uh, he would not necessarily be an actor we were still talking about 50 years after his death if he hadn't played this part. Um, I don't know that uh, uh, circumstance was ever going to give him the kind of career that would have made him memorable 50 years later uh, if he hadn't landed the part of Superman. Um, it's uh, It's almost as if the role... Uh, branded him not only in life, but in death uh, with um, a kind of inevitable and constant fame uh, that, you know, may or may not have uh, supported him in, in the financial and artistic way he wanted, but which uh, lives after him. And, um, but it's possible it might have done so for someone else in, in, if someone else had gotten the part. I don't know that, uh, uh, you know, there were plenty of actors who came out of World War II, like Reeves, who were fully competent actors with, with good movie faces and, and voices and, uh, and had charisma and, uh, uh, who just never got the breaks and maybe had a good role here and there and then uh, ended up in character parts and, and maybe even worked for the next 30 years or so, but whose names most people have completely forgotten if they ever knew them. And um, uh, what separates Reeves from those guys is the fact that he got this one role. Yeah. Um, there's nothing, I'm not diminishing in any way the talents or abilities or even charisma of these other actors. It's just, he got this shot and they didn't. And this shot did something, uh, both advantageous and disadvantageous to Reeves career, uh, that it didn't do for theirs. And you probably could have switched them out to a certain extent. Once again, I, I don't, it's hard for me to think of any of those guys being as charismatic in the role as Reeves was, but that, that charisma wasn't doing him any good before this role. Right. Um, uh, it's not like, oh, here was, here was a guy who was going to have Gary Cooper's career no. if only he hadn't got cast as Superman. Right. Superman did not derail uh, this, this, this thriving career, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and uh, but then on the other hand, you know, uh, I don't think Gary Cooper could have played Superman. <laughs> I agree so, with you. Uh, um, not as well as this guy. No. So, but it's it's amazing uh, how you get certain characters and actors. Like I always think of the the sixty um, soap opera Dark Shadows. And Jonathan Frid, who played Barnabas Collins, right? Now, this is another right. guy who came out of obscurity, really, relatively speaking, and became the superstar. Mm-hmm. And then when it was over, he faded away again. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's not a um, – uh, well, you know, we're back to that Oscar Wilde quote. Um, uh, I'm sure Jonathan Frid – looked at the first year or two of dark shadows as holy cow, I've got it made. Yeah. Um, and then when it's over, you, you may go, wow, if I hadn't done that, what might've come my way and what isn't going to come my way now because I did that. Yeah. Um, it's a less, um, it's a less drastic uh, shift nowadays. I think, uh, uh, I mean, first off, the notion that, that George Clooney or Ben Affleck would have played Batman back in the 50s uh, is ludicrous because they just weren't making large-scale movies like that, and no big star would take a role like that. Sure. Um, uh, but... Um, nowadays there's, there's, you know, uh, playing Batman didn't harm George Clooney's career at all. It was a thing that I don't know. I don't think from everything, everybody I've talked to who knew George at the time he got Superman, I don't think he thought, Oh, I've got it made. Right. Uh, uh, finally, finally, I've got the, the title role in a TV series and everybody's going to know who I am and I'm going to be rich and famous and well-beloved. I don't think he looked at it that way at all. I think he thought of it the way he described it to Phyllis Coates on their first day of work. Welcome to the bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, uh, but I also think he didn't think anybody was going to see it, so it didn't matter. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, he was, uh, uh, at the time that this came along, he, uh, a a year or so before Superman came along, he was supplementing his income, uh, digging, uh, basements and cesspools for people. Wow. Um, and I, I don't know that he looked at Superman as, anything other than a way of not digging cesspools for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're probably right. Uh, in, because you know, it, it was, it was some money, but it wasn't enormous. Of course, there's also the fact that, uh, around the time that Superman came along, uh, George was in a situation, a romantic situation that meant he didn't have to worry too much about money. Yeah. Uh, in terms of surviving well, what he did have to worry about was m- money in terms of self-respect. Right. And uh, 
so it was it was important to him to have a career, not just artistically, but to be his own man. And uh, but at least he didn't have to go hungry. Um, you know, they crammed those Superman episodes into a fairly short period of time, which meant that, you know, out of uh, nine or 10 months out of the year, he wasn't even working. Right. Uh, and, uh, I, from everything I understand about him in my research, I think he, I think he didn't mind the fact that he didn't have to worry too hard about where his next meal was coming from. But I also think that he'd have much preferred to have been paying his own way. Um, and, uh, uh, he didn't have to worry about his, about his house. He, he had a nice car that his, his, uh, girlfriend gave him, uh, he, you know, he had the necessities and, and a good number of the luxuries of life. Uh, whether he worked or not, but I think uh, he had the kind of self-respect that meant that he wasn't fully comfortable with that. And uh, if um, uh, I think in the end, uh, he eventually thought, I've got to do this on my own. Um, and uh, hence the the breakup with Tony Mannix and, uh, and the new relationship. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here. No, um, that's fine. And he was also looking for directing. I mean, that was going to be his big thing, right? I mean, like if well, Superman came back, he was I mean, a lot to direct. Of people, a lot of people look at that as, as a sign that his life was turning around, that he had great prospects. Um, the fact is getting a, chance to direct your on the show you're already starring on yeah is not such a big deal in the business <laughs> fair enough there are an awful lot of tv series uh including the one i'm on uh where every once in a while an actor says do you think i could direct one and they go yeah sure why not because <laughs> right. The crew knows what they're doing. This isn't to diminish the work of, of any actor who's directed on a show, but it doesn't in and of itself mean, hooray, new career. Absolutely. Uh, uh, there are people who uh, direct episodes of their own shows who have no great skill at it and who would never be hired to do it on another show. Uh, uh, I, I frankly don't have any idea whether, uh, George was skilled enough at directing to, uh, to, to transfer into another career right. to branch out um, to other shows and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He very may, well may have, I know, I know he was considered a very good stage director. Um, but, uh, that's also a, a different calling from directing film and television. I don't know whether he had uh, the visual sense and style or, or whether he had the organizational skills required to uh, uh, 
uh, direct a film, for example. Um, lots of people get chances, uh, but that it doesn't mean, oh, great, everything is now going to be wonderful. You know, earlier we had talked about the charisma that George brought to the role. And what always comes to my mind when I think of that, believe it or not, this may sound silly to you, is his episode of I Love Lucy. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's on the screen for a That's short time, but doesn't he project this amazing charisma oh of Superman? God. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, uh, uh, he's got comedic skills that, that, uh, uh, are, are very much in evidence there, but maybe even more than on the Superman show itself, uh, he has an ease and a style. And again, that word charisma that just pops off the screen in that episode. And, uh, uh, I hope he was as pleased with it as we are watching it because, uh, uh, it's a lovely appearance. He looks great. Yep. He, um, um, he, he's, uh, totally in tune with the, uh, comedic aspects of the show. Uh, he doesn't come across as some kind of lumbering dramatic actor who can't do comedy, oh, uh, which sometimes happens on a sitcom. Of course. Uh, and, um, uh, no, he seems right at home there, and he also seems absolutely as heroic as little Ricky would want. <laughs> yes, Superman he does. To be. Yeah, and uh, uh, there's no there's no sense that uh, this is a guy in leotards and rubber muscles, uh, as far as the kids are concerned, and. For the adult audience, he's just delightful. Um, I think it was, I think it was, it could have been fortuitous. That episode, uh, if, if things, how do I put this? If the, if the business had been different in those days where, where typecasting was such a factor. Right if they hadn't been so predisposed not to use him in other roles and in other types of shows because of the Superman image, I think an appearance like that on I love Lucy might've been, uh, more of a springboard for, uh, more opportunities, but it was such a, it was such a, uh, a, a fixture in the industry's mind that, oh, we can't use this guy because everybody will say Superman. Oh, well, we can use him as Superman, right. but, you know, you can't do that for every gig. Um, you know, they weren't going to put him on the untouchables as Superman, <laughs> and they weren't going to put him on the untouchables because he was Superman. Yeah. Um, you know, untouchables is a bit of an anachronism in this discussion, but you know, my point, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I'll tell you um, that final shot where he's got his knees crossed over his one leg crossed over the other. He goes, and they call me Superman. Yeah. I mean, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. I, I don't, I don't know that he ever looked better in the character. Than I agree. At that moment. Uh, and, uh, 
but had he done that, had had the time frame changed at, to the 80s or the 90s, if he had done that same appearance on, say, Friends, uh, uh, he'd have been a guest star on every show in town, Right, I think. Uh, they would have been going, Oh, this guy can do comedy too. Uh, you know, let's get him over here. We, and we can build something around it. But for, for us, uh, for, for people in, in the nineties and two thousands and 2010s, we have older television to look back on and say, Oh, we can use this to make something that resonates with our audience. Well, they didn't have that in the fifties. There wasn't a prior television audience. Uh, there, nobody could look at something and say, Oh, you remember this guy from 10 years ago? He's, we could have him on our show and everybody will be really excited to see him. Uh, I love Lucy was happened while Superman was still on the air. Yeah. There was a, it wasn't a nostalgia factor. Oh, no, it's very current. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't anything on television then that really drew on the audience's sense of nostalgia. And uh, had he lived longer, and I think maybe even just a few years longer, I think he would have benefited from that uh, in a way that just wasn't possible uh, during the period of his actual life. Absolutely. You know, so when you think of George, though, and, and as Superman and all, what, what do you think is the legacy? For me, his legacy is uh, as Superman, and I think that's where the vast majority of his legacy lies. Um, he'll be remembered somewhat by Gone with the Wind fans and uh, – uh, to a certain extent for by movie fans for his appearances and from here to eternity. And so proudly we hail, but for the general world out there, uh, his legacy will always be as Superman. And, uh, at least until the generation that grew up watching him passes away, I think, uh, he will be, beloved for that role. And I think it's because he had an innate ability to take seriously something that kids took seriously and at the same time connect to the audience in a way that let both children and adults feel like they were in on a secret. Um, one of the great acting tools that uh, I've been taught and many actors have been taught is the advantage of the character having a secret that the other characters don't know about and the audience may or may not know about. It's the sense of having a secret that uh, really strengthens a character. And the sense that we as the audience 
are either in touch with something nobody else knows, or we sense that there's something that we are sensing that nobody else is. And while I don't think it was an acting trick, I think it was, it was something that came out of his own personality. I think Reeves innately understood how to make both the kids and the adults in his audience feel like they were in on something well, he and would in wink. on something. He would wink. Right. And that was, that was, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, how many times over the course of 102 episodes did he wink? Not that many. Right. He did it a few times. And I, and that's the most concrete example of what I'm talking about, but it was in his persona to, uh, that not only were we privy to his secret identity, and the, all of the other secrets that grew out of that dynamic. But that somehow or other, we were connected to him. That somehow or other, he knew us. He knew we were out there. Uh, whether he directly winked or not, something about the way he presented himself and that character reached out through the screen to the audience beyond the mere story and plot and characters and made us feel like, okay, we're, we're, we're a, we're a member of a club that nobody else is uh, privy to. And I, there are lots of other uh, superheroes and, and TV heroes who don't have that. Uh, it's a gift that Reeves had that only a few actors are are blessed with, and and it doesn't even have a great deal to do with talent. Uh, not that he didn't have talent, but uh, there are a lot of talented people who can't do what he did in that role, and that is connect on a personal level with the audience, and I think that's his legacy. And a legacy that will live for as long as people are looking up to the sky and not at a bird or a plane. You can help our legacy by subscribing to this podcast, giving us a five-star review, and telling your friends about us. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time.